The foam man is coming. The foam man is coming. Main statute, Title 38, Chapter 15A, is on the way. The statewide law banning the use of disposable polystyrene food service containers is set to take effect on January 1st, 2021. Here's what you need to know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hello and welcome to episode 62 of the Dennis Knows Food podcast. I'm your host, Luke Labrie, and while foam bands of one form or another already exist in a number of cities and might feel like old news, the statewide ban takes effect in less than two months. Given that the change is right around the corner, I thought you might enjoy hearing from someone with insider info. Someone with intimate knowledge of the state's new disposable container laws. He's an expert in his field and an advocate for food service and hospitality. Joining me today is Greg Dougal, Director of Government Affairs for Hospitality Maine. Greg, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Luke. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I won't I won't keep you too long, but we've got a pretty big change coming up, uh, and that is the Maine statute, Title 38. Chapter 15A, which is the uh, foam ban. And when we first discussed doing a podcast about it, you said it'd be a pretty quick one because, well, it's happening and it's pretty cut and dry. But, you know, given your position, um, I, I think there's probably more you can tell us. And I'm curious about the conversations around the decision and, you know, what perspectives uh, were really taken into account uh, when the decision was made to ban polystyrene foam. Yeah, well, I've been involved with this for a very long time, and you know, this this actually came up at lo- at the local level in Portland, uh, probably first. If I actually, I take that back. Freeport actually banned polystyrene back in the ni- in 1990, I believe. So they were definitely the granddaddies of it all. But it, it you know had a resurgence, you know, mid last decade, uh, and uh, so a lot of local communities were involved in it. I spent a lot of time in the city of Portland on this and plastic bags. And on the polystyrene side, there was actually three bills that that came in. And I'm sorry for cheating over here, but I've got, you know, LD-289, LD-621, and LD-505. So LD-289 was the polystyrene bill that actually carried the day. Uh, The 621 was killed in favor of this because they were very similar. And 505 was a crazy, what I thought was a crazy bill that would have required everybody to have reusable food service equipment. So talking plates and forks and all of that kind of stuff. And then for those that did not, they would have to pay a fine basically for using something else. So they could charge the consumer basically a charge to for their takeout paper goods. Um, you know, at first I thought it was pretty far-fetched, but <laughs> After what I've been seeing lately, I, I, I will believe pretty much anything at this point. Uh, but it was seen to be way too extreme. Uh, there was a little bit of play, uh, but that was killed as well. So we were left with with uh, 289. And I, I believe your question, too, was about how you know it was approached. Uh, and I think that the there are several committees 
at the State House that are very energized for the role that they play. And I can tell you that there, there's none more energized than the Environment and Natural Resources Committee. Um, and so they really saw this as something that had to be done, um, and, and they did it. Wow. As they were doing that, um, in your opinion, did the environment outweigh the small independent business owner? So I looked back at who testified, and I think there were approximately, because the three bills were run together, it's a little confusing, but there were about, you know, between 25 and 30 people that testified. Two-thirds of those were in favor of uh, the ban, uh, and a third were people like myself and and the American Chemistry Council, a couple of businesses that came. Um, and so uh, the committee really did not deliberate very long on the effects on business because they are of the belief that there are alternative items that can be used that would not be an issue. And then part of my argument, I mean, I, and something that you had sent me, um, yes, polystyrene is not biodegradable, but it is recyclable. And in many places, they do recycle it. And, uh, you know, in that whole process of going to all those communities, as I described earlier, um, you know, I I really honed my defenses up, you know, because there is nothing that I have ever seen that keeps hot food hot and cold food cold like polystyrene does or foam, as you called it. Um, it really doesn't. I mean, there's nothing that compares to it. However, you know, when I first started doing this, there was nothing, there were no good alternatives. They literally were n- nothing. And so, you know, you really were literally putting stuff in a paper bag and hoping it would make it, you know, to its destination. But uh, I know Dennis obviously is uh, on the cutting edge of these kinds of things. So I know you know that, that that has changed markedly over the last few years. And so, you know, that was part of the focus. You know, everything we would say about the benefits of polystyrene, they would counter with, yeah, but there's stuff that's almost as good. And and, you know, I could make the argument that that wasn't true for a long time, but here in this last round, it really became obvious that there were stuff that, you know, some of the coated types of cardboard materials that are being used, uh, you know, for clamshells and stuff like that really actually worked okay. Um, you know, so I think, honestly, it's like anything in life. You pick something out as, when you're a movement, you pick something out that you don't like and you focus on it and you try and you try. I mean, this isn't the first time this bill was in. It was put in several times and it didn't pass. But, but you know, once you get the momentum behind you and you can make that case and you have control of the committee and the legislature, it's time for you to be able to, to make the changes that you feel are appropriate. And that's basically what happened. So you raised a couple of good points there, and I, I want to touch on on both sides of the story. But in addition to that, there have been some changes that have come along that wouldn't have been able to be taken into consideration at the time when the foam ban was originally being discussed. Yes, there are great alternatives to foam containers. There's fiber, there's plant-based plastics, um, but those end up costing more. And that's a cost uh, that the operator has to absorb, either by raising their prices or, you know, just taking that hit. And now, because of the COVID situation, 
the the supply chain for these products is is really strapped and people are having a hard time finding all of the containers and takeout packaging that they need. So I wonder if this foam ban is going to make an already tricky situation a little bit uh, harder. Takeout is king right now. And, you know, from what we saw yesterday with the, you know, cl- earlier closures um, and and at the time, no takeout, no drive through no curbside, no delivery after nine o'clock. Thankfully, after much discussion, that portion of it has been rectified, but it's still pointing back in the direction of increased need for the products that you're talking about. And that pressure is only going to grow as the virus gets worse and the winter season comes on. So there's no question about that. Cost was never a consideration by the committee. It was brought up. I brought it up. Several people brought it up. Um, it was something that, yeah, so it costs you a quarter more, charge a quarter more. And that's the mentality. The environment is so important that the cost to the consumer, you know, and I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you. You know, I had, to, you know, a lot of people that use poly are uh, people who uh, you know, obviously, uh, Asian restaurants use a lot of poly. Some of the, you know, takeout facilities do, and they're not really our members. You know, so I struggled a little bit to find somebody to represent in this fight. I mean, uh, you know, most of the brands, I checked with every brand that we represent, and almost all of them either had eliminated poly or they were planning on doing, I, I believe, the last two that I talked to at the end of this this year would be their last, you know, foray into poly. So it wasn't really going to affect them because a lot of other states have done the same thing. Um, but again, you know, the, the cost piece of this was not discussed. Now, the supply chain piece, the, you know, the American Chemistry Council and the American Plastics Council that came to speak to the, to the science of, of how, why polystyrene was such a good product also spoke to the fact that they knew that there was no way because they were affiliated and or do some of this production they were you know they were familiar with the fact that there would not be enough of this available if everybody were to choose this route well we didn't all necessarily choose this route meaning every state doing the exact same thing but we did have a pandemic which resulted in almost the exact same thing overconsumption of something that is not being made at the level that it needs to be made so yeah that is going to be i mean you know the the governor gave us a break on plastic bags i mean i can't even i can't even tell you I showed up to buy groceries at a place in my town and they asked me if I wanted a plastic bag. And I'm like, I can't believe this. And there were two people at the store that know what I do and know that I was involved in a plastic bag. <laughs> and they were laughing at me. They're going, oh my God, this is crazy. And I know they were in favor of the plastic bag, man. But they're like, yeah, you know, you're getting a plastic bag. Um, and so, you know, one would think that there might be an opportunity for polystyrene to fall into the same category, but without the legislature being together, I mean, it would have to come as an executive order, much like the plastic bag ban, uh, you know, uh, delay did, but that's coming up here in January, and I've heard no talk about delaying that again, um, so my assumption would be that that this will continue to go into effect, and um, and all those people that are doing takeout to survive could be struggling to get the product. You know, you provide them with the product. So um, I shudder to think these are the laws of unintended consequences, which seem to 
you know, in situations like this really tend to present themselves. So let's talk a little bit about the ban itself. Um, Again, so anybody listening knows, in general, the law states that an establishment may not process, prepare, sell, or provide food or beverages in or on a disposable food service container that is composed of polystyrene foam. Is it is it that cut and dry? So yes, uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, the, what you described as far as the foam goes uh, is exactly what it is. So does that affect things like the, you know, the plastic wrap steak that's on a, a polystyrene tray that I get at my local supermarket? Yes. Um, what it doesn't affect are things that come in already packaged. But, uh, you know, where I live, there was a polystyrene ban already. So the stores I go to have already, you know, processed through that and are buying uh, that different product that, that they can use instead of polystyrene. Um, but if it's packaged already when you receive it and has polystyrene in it, uh, then it, you can continue to sell it. So if I run a convenience store, I don't have to go clear my shelves of anything that I purchased uh, for resale that came or has polystyrene involved in it. I mean, it says anything that's purchased for wholesale that's already packaged uh, is not something, it's an exemption basically in the law. Are there any other exemptions that people might want to be aware of? Yeah, there's uh, the exemption for an emergency, um, which generally is in these. There's the plastic bag exemption too, which basically the governor, she didn't really invoke that, but um, but she her executive order allowed for the use of those. So, um, uh, and of course the plastic bag ban is, has a, uh, a feature in it that doesn't allow preemption, which doesn't allow for communities to have their own plastic bag bans anymore. That did not happen with polystyrene. Uh, but most of them just ban the products, so they're almost all pretty similar. So, you know, in a case of, uh, of emergency, uh, for sure, um, and uh, when a consumer actually brings a polystyrene container to, so let's say somebody has a polystyrene cup and they come in and they get coffee, um, you're, you know, even though you're, it's being packaged in polystyrene, you're not packaging it in polystyrene or providing the package, so that would be okay as well. Uh, and again, the third one is the one we talked about already, which which is stuff that comes in already packaged. Interesting. So you mentioned uh, in the case of an emergency, would um, the COVID situation where there might not be whatever popular container that 90% of operations use, you know, they're not going to have people come in and pour soup into their hands. So or is that emergency more of a, a flash flood, Red Cross type situation where you need to give people, uh, you know, hot beverages and things to save the day? Uh, it's pretty much an, oh, I mean, public health is the focus of the emergency declaration. So um, I would say that the, COVID, you know, much like with the plastic bags, that, the, that COVID could be a, a, a trip for that. Um, it would have to be something that came at least initially through an executive order. Um, and I've not heard that there's any favor for that. We've checked and talked with people about, uh, you know, wanting to see if there's something that could be done about staying this. And primarily they have said that that's not the case. However, I do believe that if what you described were to occur, that, you know, product was disappearing and there was nothing left to replace it with, um, that they may have a different perspective. We certainly would pursue that. Are there going to be fines associated with people who or businesses who break the rules and how's how's that going to look 
you know, nothing ever is exactly the way that people think it will be. You pass laws and you think that you're going to be able to enforce all kinds of different things. And the power of enforcement comes with people, obviously, and money. Uh, and there's going to be, I'm assuming, very little that will be, I mean, there are penalties. It's $100 per, uh, and, I, and I don't think it's ever been executed, so I'm not sure if that would be per item sold or if it would be just the fact that you have it. Um, the health inspections, you know, for convenience stores, they're licensed by the Department of Agriculture, and they do have inspectors, and as does the health inspections program. Uh, they, the health inspections program has been conducting a lot of the work for DECD uh, with the restaurant guidelines that have been presented uh, to us to have to work with. Uh, and they do function, you know, with uh, other agencies. They try very hard, I think, to make sure that they alert other agencies. Um, you know, I'm not sure that, you know, health inspections would like alert labor to something, but taxation alerts labor to something and labor to taxation. Uh, and, and the liquor enforcement folks as well would would probably be helpful in that respect. But I think it's primarily going to be a complaint-based system. Um, you know, people can complain to the Department of Environmental Protection, uh, and they would probably send a letter out like they have been with COVID-related things, you know, like a cease and desist, uh, you know, and stop selling this product and we will come check. Um, and, you know, DP doesn't have a tremendous number of people on the ground like that, but I'm sure they could conjure up enough people to at least go, you know, to the offenders and tell them not to do it. I don't believe there will be a proactive search, you know, in all licensed properties to make sure that that's happening. But um, I, I can assure you that health inspections is very vigilant and they are very astute when they walk into a facility. If they saw like polystyrene cups staring them in the face when they walk to the door, they probably would at least say something. And, and if not, you know, alert DEP to, to the situation. Harboring contraband. Kind of. Yeah, I guess. You know, <laughs> it's amazing what contraband is now. Used to be marijuana was contraband. Now you can have that, but you can't have polystyrene. <laughs> yeah, just don't sell it in foam containers, right? <laughs> yeah, true. Good point. The statewide ban uh, on foam takes effect or on polystyrene foam takes effect January 1st of 21. Many food businesses, as you said, have already transitioned over. Knowing that you've had conversations with uh, operations that have made that switch, do you have any advice for anybody who hasn't yet uh, converted? And I will, I will mention too. One thing we didn't talk about on the exemption side is that uh, you know, f uh, seafood processors, uh, people who are selling you know lobsters to be shipped and stuff. There are some exemptions as well for those people. You know, in most cases, those people know who they are, and as do the suppliers of the product. So, you know, they've already made that connection because they were they were together in that respect before. Yeah, well, there's really nothing that can replace, you know, shipping containers for fresh product like like lobster. Yeah, absolutely. I not anything we've ever seen. Um, and so, of course, we don't represent that part of the business, but we do work with people like the main grocers and food producers association that do and uh, and the lobstermen's association. Um, so obviously, that's an important an important piece. Um, I think, you know, my advice would be if people are anticipating a shortage or they're anticipating a problem on their end, uh, because they can't get product because not obviously everyone's going to buy product from Dennis. I wish they would, but uh, you know, there are other distributors and there are some people just go and buy it, you know, at Sam's Club, wherever it may be. 
Uh, and so, it, you know, it would be good for us to know. They should, you know, you should tell us, they should tell you, they should tell us so that we can anticipate a shortage and go somewhere to find a, a solution um, because nothing comes quickly. Um, the only thing that seems to come quickly is things that work against us. Uh, the things that work for us are generally hard to get, uh, especially in the, you know, the pandemic time frame that we find ourselves in. Uh, so, you know, we're not going to be able to, and neither are you, going to be able to come up with this stuff overnight. So, uh, you know, any anticipated issues should be brought to our to everyone's attention as quickly as possible so that a resolution can be uh, searched for. You know, obviously, from the operations side, from the product side, you know, we have a team of experts here at Dennis that can happily help convert um, your product lineup for containers and takeout packaging and everything you need. Um, our recommendation is to just pull that Band-Aid off, make the switch when, you're, when your stock you know, room says, okay, it's time to reorder, make that switch and convert everything over and, and buy in a quantity that is cost effective for you. And the Sam's Club run isn't quite as effective because you're paying more per piece for something that's already more expensive uh, and then you have to make that run. You have to do it often. You're much better off finding the exact right mix of product for your needs because there's temperature variations and grease and, you know, vapor and all these different things that um, you want your food the way you want your customers to enjoy it. And there are different types of packaging to make that happen. And that's where that's where we can definitely come in. But where should people go uh, if they want to know uh, more about what Hospitality Maine can do for their business? Yeah, and, and I want to, I can't reiterate, I don't think I could have said it as well as you did. And I can't reiterate it enough. Everything that you just said is is factual. You know, your, your broadline food distributor can provide you with so much more uh, upfront, you know, and not only in product, but in knowledge of the product. Uh, instead of just going in an aisle in a store and looking around and trying to figure out what the next best thing to do is. So uh, I would totally agree with that. And you can always find, you know, who we are, what we do, what we're all about at hospitalitymain.com. Uh, and, you know, anybody can always feel free to reach out to me. Um, the, my, the best way to get a hold of me is my email address and it's greg, G-R-E-G, at hospitalitymain.com. Uh, happy to give you the answer or find it if I don't have it. Awesome. That was good stuff, Greg. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Luke, and you have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Well, that's going to do it for us and this episode of Dennis Knows Food. As always, I'm your host, Luke Labrie, and we're putting the foodie back in food service. I'd like to thank Greg Dougal for joining us today. As he said, you can find more information about their organization at hospitalitymain.com. And for more great stuff like this, be sure to visit us online at www.dennisexpress.com. 